The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson which is read to you earlier. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Tis good Lord to be here. Those are the very first words of our service this morning. The words of that old Transfiguration Day hymn. Tis good Lord to be here. Words that echo what, Paul, what Peter said on that mountain. And it's also echoing what we are doing here this morning. But like Peter... I don't think we fully grasp what we are saying. So, Peter, James, and John are brought on top of this high mountain. And they see something that no eye had beheld before them and no eye had seen since then. They saw the fullness of what it meant that Jesus was true God and true man. They saw the fullness of his glory, the radiance of his glory. His, and by the way, somebody made a joke that it became bleacher than any bleach could be, and so he said, ooh, it's a Tide ad. But there was no Tide. So, miraculously, there's an incredible whiteness, incredible glow like they'd never seen before. And so they see this incredible sight, and then they see Moses and Elijah. Which, by the way, this kind of answers a question some of us ask. Some people wonder, will I recognize my loved ones when I get to heaven? Well, this is your answer. Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah. Given the, and given the fact that they died almost 600 to 1,000 years earlier, that gives you a pretty good answer. Because think about this. If you went on Google right now and you looked up Moses you're probably going to get Charlton Heston. You're not going to get the actual Moses. You don't know what he looks like. I don't know what he looks like. But when we get to heaven, we will know who people are that we've never met. So yes, you will know your loved ones. So they recognize Moses and Elijah. Moses, the great giver of the law. Elijah, the great prophet. And so Peter doesn't know what to say or what to do. When I worked at, did clinical pastoral education at Methodist Hospital in Des Moines, one of the things that I learned was that sometimes when you're with a patient, there are things, tra traumatic moments that are so deep that I have no idea what to say. And one of the things that I learned is, don't say anything. Just be there. This is an example where Peter should have done that. He should have just kept silent and just paid attention and just be grateful for the fact that he is where he is. And But he doesn't do that. He says, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. If he had stopped there, he probably would still be in good shape. But then he goes, let us make three tents. Our English is a little misleading there. When he just says tents... That means, oh, he just wants to camp out. What's the big deal? Everybody likes to camp out on mountains. Um, if, you, if I told you we'd go camp out in the Rockies, you'd be like, all oh, right, awesome. But 
The better translation is tabernacle. Tabernacle is a place for God. It's a place of worship. So what he says is, let us make three tabernacles. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. So upon saying this, he hears the voice from the cloud, the voice of God the Father, a voice that I'm pretty certain after you heard it, you'd go change your underpants. He said, it says, that voice says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. See, the problem was is that Peter, when he says he wants to build a tabernacle for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, the problem is, is he's saying, I want to worship Jesus, I want to worship Moses, and I want to worship Elijah. Which is why he got that voice from God the Father basically saying, Peter, knock it off. Just be quiet and sit there and pay attention to him, my son, the God-man. That word that I... Those who are paying, if, remember for confirmation on Wednesday, I mentioned the word theanthropos. Theos and anthropos means God-man. They are looking at the God-man, the man, God in the flesh. He is the one they are to listen to. This does not mean that they ignore the Old Testament, not that they ignore the writings of the law and the prophets, rather that the law and the prophets are all about Jesus. The Bible, by the way, I'm going to let you in on a very important hermeneutical or exegetical key. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus for you. If you get that mixed up, you'll become very narcissistic. And you'll think the Bible's all, everything, every verse is about you and it will mess your theology up really badly. But the Bible is all about Jesus. In other words, when you listen to the law, when you read the Old Testament, you are ultimately listening to Jesus who is the Word. So like Peter, who didn't quite understand what was going on, I don't think we quite understand what is going on here. We are in this place, in this, in this sanctuary inside of St. Paul Lutheran Church, the building, inside of Ida Grove, inside of Iowa, inside of the United States of America. The word sanctuary, it means a place that is set apart. This is a place set apart by God. And for that reason, tis good Lord to be here in this place. But we don't fully grasp it. But look at, consider the way the service goes. We begin with those words of the invocation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. If you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son, you know of the, the, the younger son who, who, squat, who had asked for inherit, his inheritance from his father before his father had, would, had died. 
And so he got the inheritance, he ran off, and he squandered all of his living. And so when he became desperate, he went back to his father. When his father saw him a long ways off, if you know it, what did the father do? He ran to the son. He ran to him. And before the son could ever say a word, he embraced him and welcomed him home as a son. See, we come from our lives. We come from the world that is our lives. We come from a place where we see people who are sick. We come from a place where people are dying. We come from a place where people do die. We, deal, we live in a world where we have relationships, friendships that are falling apart, families that get into fights with one another left and right. We live in a place where people that we thought we could trust, we learned we can't trust them very well. We come from a place where our jobs are not always the way we want them to be. Or sometimes they're never what we want them to be. We come from a place where we struggle with our finances, struggle to make ends meet. And then we think about our own very own self. We never we get up in the morning on Sunday, our hair doesn't keep, seem to work quite right, although if we have lesser hair, it's probably less of a problem. But our hair just can't seem to get right, and maybe there's a few too many gray hairs, or our joints don't quite work the same. But then there's our inner self. We know what we are like inside. We know that the reason why some of our relationships have fallen apart is because of us. That if somebody were to look into the depths of who we are, they would see nothing but blackness. But we come here, and we are greeted with those words. It is in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Calling back to our baptism, it is as if that it's like God is that father of the prodigal son. He's running and he's grabbing hold of you saying, Welcome, my child. No matter what you've done, no matter what you look like, no matter what's going on, you are my child. I mentioned this hymn probably a thousand times, but God's own child, I gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. That's the words we're greeted with. And then upon hearing of the love of God, the grace of God, reminded of it, poured upon us in baptism, guaranteed in the cross, we confess our sins. As this morning we said, I, a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment, etc., etc., and upon saying those words, you hear. Now, I don't know if you know this. The reason a pastor wears vestments is to remind the pastor that he could be replaced. That's why I have this stole. Notice that's not exactly the same design, but similar material. I, don't, I haven't been here for, I've only been here just under a year. Literally, two weeks from now, it's a year. Um... That altar, I'm guessing that is not the original altar. I'm going to guess that we may have had another one 
somewhere during the course of history, right? Anybody been here long enough to know that? I'm sure there has been. And I'm sure the baptismal font is a different one. I mean, going back even to the original church, different pulpit, different lectern, furniture gets replaced. And this is a reminder that pastors, you're just a part of the furniture. Like furniture, you can be replaced. See, our authority, nothing about what we do is coming from our own authority. Rather, we do everything in the stead and by the command of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we say in his stead, by his command, as he commanded in John 20, whatever sins you forgive are forgiven. Whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. So when you hear the words, I forgive you in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen, that, is, that forgiveness is God's forgiveness. We are but an instrument. But when you hear that proclamation, that declaration, it is so. Your sins are forgiven. And then we break out into song and we hear the scriptures. And the one that stands out as the highlight is the one for which you stand. The gospel lesson. The, the earth, think about this, the, if we were going to go by the Bible, let's just estimate that the earth is 10,000 years old. I know evolution says it's older, but that's a topic for another day. But going by the Bible is about 10,000, at least at the oldest, 10,000 years old. Jesus was born just about a little over 2,000 years ago. That means for about 8,000 years, there was sickness, there was death, there was, there was floods, there was famines, there was diseases, incredibly awful wars, and they were anticipating the coming of the Christ, the coming of the promise of the offspring of Eve who had crushed the serpent's head. But we don't have to wait. In fact, 52 weeks a year on Saturday or Sunday, and actually during Lent, you also get Wednesday, which, hint, there's a Lenten service this Wednesday. So, including this coming Wednesday, next six weeks, and all those weeks during, all those days during Holy Week, those days during Advent, the Christmas services, you get to hear about the very Christ, the very Messiah, that everyone that so many legions of people had been anticipating and, ex and excited and waiting for his arrival. You get to hear of that he has come, that he was born, and he lived, he died, and he rose from the dead. You get to hear that every single week. And then you hear the proclamation, the sermon. No matter who it's from, as long as Jesus is at the center of the sermon, you learn that all that scripture, everything that happens in the gospel, all of it happened for you. It's not about you, but it is for you. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you. 
That you might become the righteousness of God. That you might be holy. That you may be set apart. That's why Jesus endured that agonizing death. At the very end of the gospel lesson, Jesus gives this command that he says several times through the gospel of Mark. He told people not to sit and talk about what they had seen. The reason is, is because if they started talking about the transfiguration right away, everybody would focus on transfiguration Jesus. That moment, they think, oh, that's the high point. That is when Jesus is in his glory. That's where we want to focus. He told them to keep silent. Because you see the transfiguration, it's mentioned in three of the four Gospels. Peter mentions it in one of his epistles. But it is not the most significant event. It is of importance, but there's a much more important moment to come. See, Jesus' moment of glory, it's not Christmas. It is not the transfiguration. And believe it or not, it's not even Easter. What do we have? A cross. Read throughout the scriptures, over and over in the Old Testament, they prophesy that the Messiah would die. That he would be a sacrifice. The epistles, over and over and over, talk about the crucifixion. The Gospel of John, for example, is 21 chapters. And yet, and nine of those chapters are Holy Week. Think about that. Nine chapters are dedicated to seven days. That's how big the crucifixion is. The reason why that is the moment of his glory, as opposed to all those other events, is because our God shows his glory not in by showing, by demonstrating his power, but by restraining his power. Because when he's on the cross, he withholds every bit of it. He could have stopped it at any moment. But he gave up everything all the way to the point of giving up his very last breath. That is his glory. And he endured it all for you. And you hear that every single week. And then if we have communion, and by the way, we have, we have hymns, we have prayers, which, okay, there's a really cool painting. I've got to post this on Facebook or something. But there's this really cool picture. There's a picture of these two people, and it's in Russia. They're, they're standing right in front of this painting. Some of you maybe have seen this. And both of them are standing in front of this incredible mural of all these amazing angels. They're absolutely beautiful. The two people are sitting there, they're just like, eh. looks like you typically work, look when you, you realize you have to go to work in the morning. And, but behind them is this incredible painting. Last night, this morning, our service, you can look, we don't have that as many people as we'd like. We'd love it if we were filled to the brim. 
But what you don't realize is that, first off, when you worship, the cool thing, it is kind of cool, even with the number we have, that you are lifting up all these voices to say the same words. When we pray, you'll say, Lord, have mercy, or hear our prayer, or we'll say the Lord's prayer together in unison. All of our voices united as one saying the same words, lifting up those people on the prayer list in the same way, saying, lifting up our prayers, our petitions as one voice. But the thing is, is you're not the only ones worshiping. You see only you, but we say it in the communion service. Therefore, with angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven. We laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, holy, holy, holy. There are angels and archangels. There is literally thousands that are worshiping with you this day. You don't see them, but they are here including Peter, James, John, Moses, Elijah, and anyone who has ever died in the faith. They are the company of heaven. And so we partake of a meal, bread, which is the body of Jesus, Wine, which is the blood of Jesus, not represents his body, doesn't represent his blood. It is his body. It is his blood for your forgiveness through which you are united to those angels, archangels, and the whole company of heaven. Tis good Lord to be here. What a wonderful thing that God gives us. This place set apart from that rugged world I mentioned. He gives us this place to rest, to hear his word, to be recharged, and to be constantly given an overflowing of gifts. But here's where we're slightly different than Peter, James, and John. They are told not to say anything until after Jesus had risen. Guess what? He's risen, which means you can't say, well, I'm not going to go say anything until the dead rise from the, everybody rises from the dead or something. No, rather he's risen, which means the second you walk out that door, you are not to be like Moses who put a veil over his face to hide the glory, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Rather, the gospel is the pour forth from your lips that you, sh you should be radiating you should be radiant of the glory of God and his gospel, proclaiming it, preaching it to others, that they may hear of his grace and mercy. Tell of the wonders he has done. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand to sing, Create in Me a Clean Heart.